But it is good to be in the house of the Lord, especially this day, as we come on the very eve of the Advent celebration of our Savior's birth. And as I was thinking and contemplating uh, what I might share at the time, you know, we were looking more at Christmas Eve. Um, and do please continue to remember uh, Jay Stone King and your prayers and his father uh, at that at this time, very critical time in, in uh, his health. Uh, so keep them in remembrance. That's why Jay is not able to be with us this morning. Uh, but as I was thinking, I was thinking, uh, I, I sit over there in the corner, and it's not that I want to be antisocial or anything. Um, I try to... I, so many people have used excuses. Well, I'm not coming to church because I don't want to make you sick. Don't do that, please. I'll find a place to sit. You come. If you've got a sniffle, you'll survive. Okay, I'll survive. I always tell people this. My God is bigger than your germs. Okay? All right? So keep that in, in remembrance, okay? Uh, and don't let that uh, hinder you from ever coming to church. Uh, I, I don't want to be your stumbling stone. I don't want to be your excuse. That's one thing I don't want to be. All right? Um, but anyway, as I said over there, uh, in the Christmas season, uh, especially on Sunday evenings, I would sit there pretty much uh, by myself. And if, if Dave was here, he would sit over here. Uh, but we, we're kind of over here. And I kind of made the wise men my homies. <laughs> I felt like I was least sitting with somebody, okay? And, and this one on the end kept looking at me. <laughs> and uh, said, uh, you know, uh, I want you to tell something about us. And I, and I thought about that. And I thought, well, no, I want to really talk about the star on Christmas Eve. And I was watching a show one day, and I don't remember the name of the show, but it's the very end. You know, lately they've kind of done musical little things at the end. And I'm listening to this song, and I hear this uh, phrase, Take the long way around the sea. And as I'm listening to it, I get on the Internet, and I want to look it up, and I start looking at the lyrics. And it is a song that deals with the very uh, subject matter that we read of in verse 12 of Matthew this morning. Having been warned in a dream... By God, they went home another way. And as I listened to that song, it was interesting because it was just played with an acoustic guitar. But what was interesting to me was the, the rhythmic sound made you feel like you were on one of those camels, moving back and forth, back and forth. I was listening to someone, I don't know whether it was here or someplace, uh, just in the last day or so. And, of course, it always comes up about the wise men. You know, well, you know they weren't there the night of the birth of Christ. Well, yes, but they are an important factor in the birth of Christ. Because if you take your Bibles, they, you can see where the wise men really first appear. And if you open your Bible up to the last book of Malachi, okay, in the Old Testament, and you open up to the New Testament, Matthew, there's a place that we call the intertestamental period of time. Okay? Somewhere in that period of time, the wise men started their trek. Okay? That's your scriptural reference between Malachi and Matthew. It's blank, but we know they started. Okay? We know that they began. And we understand that as they came to Bethlehem, 
They came in search of the Messiah. The star appeared the night of his birth. And it's speculated, obviously, it took them some time. But when they came, they came and they first went to Jerusalem, because that's where they suspected that the king of the Jews would be born. And, of course, that's not where they found him. And they were told to go on down into Bethlehem. And they went into Bethlehem, and as we know the story, they found the child. Now, when we come to the part where they get to leave, and it says that they leave, the question can come up is, why were they told this? Why did they do this? And I think the obvious is that they were commanded. They were commanded by God. And they were commanded by God not because he was fearful of Herod. He could have put a hedge around the wise men. He could have stricken Herod dead. God could have done anything and let the wise men go back through Jerusalem. But he chose not to do that. He had a plan. And that plan did not happen when Herod found out that there was a baby born in Bethlehem. That plan began at the very beginnings of time. You see, God lays out plans. And He says He also has plans for us. And He had plans for these wise men. He had plans for them to leave their place, their home place, to come to search for a Messiah, and then to go home another way. But God orchestrated all this in a very interesting fashion. Because there's two important events that happened in the life of the Hebrew people that began this quest that these magi would have. And it begins back about 600, 700 years B.C., before the birth of Christ. Two events happen. One is the Assyrians come down and they laid a waste. They take all of Israel over. And they take captive Israel. A few hundred years later, the Babylonians come in. Two tribes are left. And those two tribes are Judea. They represent Judea. And the Babylonians take those two tribes back. But the interesting thing was, is who did they take back? And they took back what we would say would be the creme de la creme, the, the educated, the youth, those who were the heart and soul, if you would, of the country. And when they went and took them to their land, those Hebrew children brought with them their manners, their customs, and their scriptures, all which told of the birth of the Messiah. Interestingly enough, the Scripture mentions many times about wise men. Magi, if you would. And when we read the Old Testament Scripture, we see that God is laying out a plan that is taking the message out of the Hebrew land, and He has dispersed it into the captivity, and primarily to what will one day become these wise men who will make this venture to this little town of Bethlehem. They knew the Scriptures because the Scriptures had been brought to them because of the captivities. God orchestrated that. God laid out a plan so that the world would know the birth of the Messiah was coming. 
You see, God does not let any go without His message. The Bible says the heavens declare the glories of God. It tells that we can know God by seeing the things that are around us. Romans mentions that so much is of the existence of God and His story is there that there will be no excuse for not knowing. And so the world was being prepared for the coming of the Messiah, not just Jerusalem. In fact, when you really look at the story, it's Jerusalem who forgets. Okay? If we hold to the fact that the wise men were from Persia, and I do, it took them some time to trek across. And they began, as I said, they followed the, the Scriptures. They read the Scriptures. I'll talk a little more about the star this evening. But the thing that they were searching for was this Messiah, the one who was going to be the King of the Jews. But Jerusalem had a king. Jerusalem had a king by the name of Herod. And he was known as Herod the Great. Now, Jay talked a little bit a couple of weeks ago about Herod. And one of the things that he mentioned was that Herod was notoriously evil. Really, he was notoriously paranoid. Can we think of anybody in our world today that's like that? How about the leader of North Korea? One of the things that Herod did, he was so paranoid that he had his family killed, he had staff killed, he had close friends killed, if he thought that you might try to overthrow him, he had you killed. Now, Herod was not the rightful king of the Jews. He knew that. That's what part of the, where the part of the paranoia came from. Because, see, when we do something that is not of God, there's a guilt that comes upon us. When we know that we're doing something or we're in a place where we shouldn't be and it's not God's sanction, our spirits are pricked. We feel agitated. We're looking over our shoulder. We're wondering when it is God is going to call us out. And I'm sure that as Herod led the Hebrew people, knowing that his kingship was granted primarily through favoritism, through election, rather than through lineage, that he constantly was looking over his shoulder. Because he knew that in kingdoms, one day family members do rise up and they retake the throne. And there was enough knowledge about a Messiah. And so when he got word, especially from these wise men who come from the East... <clears throat> his paranoia kicked in in hyperdrive. He was worried. He was worried that he was going to be called out. And so when he heard about this Messiah, and his own wise men, they knew about it, but they weren't watching. I would like to have been in the court that day when the wise men from the east came and announced and says, we're here to see your king of the Jews, the new king of the Jews, and the wise men going, uh, well, let me look at the books. Going back through the scriptures, trying to search for evidence to tell them at to what time that the advent of this Messiah would happen. 
And it had happened. And they were dumbfounded. And so Herod, as I said, his paranoia goes into hyperdrive. And so he tells the wise men, when you go down there, make sure you come back so that I can do what? So I can worship him too. So I can claim him as the king. Oh, yeah, right. Now, if that wasn't the big fat lie, huh? I mean, Herod's history was of such that Caesar Augustus said of Herod himself, and Caesar, by the way, was a friend of Herod, he said it was better to be a pig in Herod's court than to be one of his own sons. And we know that pigs were detestable to the Hebrew people. And so that's what the leader of the world thought of the king of Israel, of Judea. The unfit king. And this king, I'm sure the moment that he heard, was not one bit interested in worshiping, but he had every intention of killing. And we know that story. Because as we read on in Scripture, in Scripture that we didn't read today, we see that eventually he sends his armies down and they kill babies two years and under to the point where Bethlehem weeps at the death of those children. Well, as I said, Herod should have known all this. His own wise men should have told him, but they didn't. This is something that Spurgeon said. He said, it's a sad thing when a preacher is like a signpost pointing the way, but never following it. Such were those chief priests at Jerusalem. They could tell where Christ was born, but they never went to worship Him. They were indifferent altogether to Him and to His birth. Isn't that amazing? They didn't care. They were getting paid well. Herod was seeming to take care of them. They were trying to stay on Herod's good side. Well, we know, at least can suspect the rest of that story, can't we? And so... Because of that, they set out on a journey. These wise men, imagining them leaving from their place in the east, coming from, or, yeah, from the east, coming from their homeland, could have taken as much as a year or more to arrive in Jerusalem. But theirs was an interesting journey all along. Here in Jerusalem, you have men who should have already been on this journey to Bethlehem to visit their Messiah, but stayed comfortably in their court. And we have wise men from the east who are caravanning it on camels, maybe sometimes on foot, in the heat of the day. Man, you've been you're there. It's, you just tell me how warm it can be certain times of the year, how hot it can be. It's amazing that these wise men would make that trek to visit a baby king because they knew the power. They knew the power that he would have and did have. And so they made this journey. And it was a journey of faith because they left to seek a new king. They left their king to come and find a new king. It was a journey of worship 
Because what they did was, when they saw the child, in their hearts, they were already preparing for worship. But when they came and they saw the child, it says they kneeled down before him and they worshipped. And that isn't a simple bowing of the head. They didn't just simply come and go, Oh, king. They literally put themselves down prostrate. They fell before this young child and recognized him as the Messiah, the Son of God, the Anointed One, the Christ. Isn't that amazing? That they saw that and they understood that. But they prepared their hearts for worship. Often when we come in here, are our hearts prepared to worship the King? You know, one of the things that you and I have today is we have, quote-unquote, as Paul Harvey used to say, the rest of the story. You see, it didn't, it didn't come to a manger for us and stop there. It didn't come to a house and see a little two-year-old boy there. It went all the way to a man who grew up, was perfect in every sense of the word, led a sinless life, and went to the cross, shed his blood, died, was buried, and rose again. And did we prepare our hearts for worship when we come here before that king? Because that's the king that we worship today. Amen? He's the king. And so they were worshiping him. They prepared for worship, and they worshiped. And then... It was a journey of change. Because when they came, their hearts were changed. They knew what they had witnessed. They could never be the same. You see, when we come to Jesus, when we truly come to Jesus, when we let Jesus come into our hearts and our lives, we are changed. Scripture tells us we become a new creation. Behold, all things are passed away. All things become new. That's who we are. Now, that doesn't mean that we're perfect. That doesn't mean that all of a sudden, you know, all, all about us becomes again, we, you know, I've I got to stand in this box. I I'm, I'm, can't make any mistakes. No. God's prepared for that too, isn't He? First John chapter 1, verse 9, if we confess our sins, He is what? Faithful just to forgive us our sins. And to do what? Cleanse us of all unrighteousness. You see, God's got us covered. He says, if you come, I will change you from within. And when you experience that change from within, you begin to change without. But it's a gradual process. We don't go from zero to 65 in two seconds, do we? We mature. We learn to give things up. They were changed. <coughs> and so because their journey was one of a faith of worship and change. When God had commanded them to go another way, they recognized something. They recognized that going another way, <coughs> pardon me, <coughs> often requires going away from something safe and familiar. You see, we like our comfort zone, don't we? Oh, don't we like our comfort zone? That's us. We want it. We want things to change, but we want them to stay comfortably changed. If I ask you to get up today and go visit the neighborhood, some of us would wiggle. Some of us would feel odd. 
Or I told you to go down to... I heard uh, Bob mention a few moments ago, uh, last minute shopping, Walmart. <coughs> well, I'm talking to the cashier, one of the clerks. <coughs> Tell them about Jesus. We feel uncomfortable. We feel weird. But you know what? <coughs> Pardon me. I have a cough drop in this morning. I probably shouldn't have. If Jesse Landon was here, she'd be yelling at me. <laughs> Sorry, Jesse. <laughs> we like that comfort zone. <coughs> I'll tell you something. I've said this before. Um, I had her as Miss Mikeson. I may remember Miss Mikeson. Uh, well, Brinkman is her name now. Uh, I had her my junior year. Final was coming up. <coughs> she told me what my grade was going to be. I was getting out a speech at that time with a D. <laughs> you didn't know that. <laughs> Confession's good for the soul. <laughs> But I took the <coughs> final, and fortunately, and this was what I thought was really odd for speech class, the final was written, <laughs> and I got a uh, C- minus in, in speech. That's what I got, a C-. minus. Folks, I've been on the radio, I've been on TV, I've preached between one and a few more people. <laughs> I'm going to tell you something. It never gets easier. It's never comfortable. Sometimes I don't feel safe. I didn't feel safe this morning. Okay? But you know, I know the one who makes the path straight. I know the one who makes it right. I know the one who walks alongside me. I know those things. And because of that, I can move out of my comfort zone, and you can move out of your comfort zone, and you can go where you feel that sometimes it's not safe. It's not safe. I don't, I don't feel safe doing this. But I know that if God has commanded me to go another way, that I will hold to His promise that He will never leave me nor forsake me. The road to Bethlehem was, was a fairly well-traveled road. There was, there was interaction. Even though Bethlehem was a small town, it was believed that the shepherds in that area, as I think Jay mentioned last week, might have been shepherds who took care of the sheep for the temple. And so there would have been traffic back and forth. It was a safe road for, the, for all general purposes. There was some treacherous highway. Jericho, we remember the story of the Good Samaritan. But for the greater part, much of the road was, was fine because, one, it was taken care of by Rome. There was Roman guards Walking around. Part of their job was to kind of keep the peace, keep the safety. But when you look at the map of the area, and you see the route that the wise men would have had to go down, not only was it rocky and treacherous geographically, but it's where bandits kind of hung out. It was dangerous. It wasn't a great place to go. It was certainly not one that I'm sure that as they began to think about their trip, 
what they would do, where they would stop, to whom they might see, all of a sudden the plans went out the window and they had no triptych, they had no GPS to tell them where the rest stops were any longer. Everything was by faith, not by sight. And they traveled in that direction. T.S. Eliot, in his poem about the wise men, said that he believed that when the wise men went back, they went back to their homeland safely. But he said they certainly were not unchanged. There was a change about them. And I believe part of that change was because, again, that they had encountered the Messiah, but they had a joy that wherever they went, both coming and returning, they expressed the story of what it was that they were doing, where they were going, what they had witnessed. And God had changed the direction so that new people would now hear that story. And through the wise men's direction of going another way, they make testimony that Christmas is about go tell. Just as simple as that. Go tell. We see it with the shepherds. We see it with the wise men. We see it with anyone that encounters Jesus that the only thing that he asks is go tell. Go tell. Go tell his story. Go tell his story in relation to you. It's a story that God has crafted to the individual. It's a story that belongs uniquely to you because you have been fearfully and wonderfully made in the sight of God. And as I said, the book of Jeremiah says this, I know the plans that I have for you. And he plans your story. And so when they went out, they told. John Sutherland, an officer of the London's police department, explained a principle that's called Lucard's Exchange Principle. And we're kind of familiar with that because we're CSI buffs, huh? Aren't we? How many of you watch crime shows? Okay. Yeah, they're always gathering up evidence, right? What are they gathering up? They're gathering up. I'm amazed. I mean, even with a half-decent pair of glasses, I'm amazed that they find this hair this long, you know? In a big wheat field. <laughs> this will link us to the evidence. This will link us to the suspect. Now, I know that's a little far-fetched. But that's the principle of the Lucard's exchange principle. That whenever a criminal goes out, a criminal will leave enough evidence that when it is collected, the data, once it is extracted will point a way to an individual, a suspect, that will serve as a lead for the detectives to follow up and solve the crime. But he goes on to say, as people, we practice that same thing. We never go out into community 
whether it's shopping, whether it's working, whether it's school, whatever it is, we never go out that we don't leave trace evidence behind. The question is, what kind of trace evidence are we leaving? Are we leaving evidence that allows us to be suspect as to what our faith might be? Or do we leave evidence that proves without a shadow of a doubt that we are a child of the King, a follower of Jesus Christ, that we have accepted Him, not just as a babe in a manger, but as that perfect gift, that unspeakable gift, that God has given to humanity and to all the world. Do we leave that evidence? It's important that we do. And so my question today to you and my challenge, if you would, is when you leave here today, will you leave another way? I'm not talking about, oh, I'm used to going out the Annadale door, so today I'll try this door. Maybe I'll get real creative. I'll have my buddy in the balconies lift me up, and then we'll go out that way. Or Bob's going to... Uh, is is uh, okay? Your son up there, Bob. Okay, we're going to drop you down today, Dean. You don't use the stairs, okay? We're going to have four ushers down here. Your dad's going to hold you over the projector, and we're just going to drop you, okay? He's going to come out another way. No, that's not what I'm talking about. <laughs> Bryant goes, "Hey, let's go for it, dude." <laughs> He's all for that, right? <laughs> he got excited. <laughs> that's not what I'm talking about. I'm talking about you came in here one way today. And I'm not saying that you had plans to go out a bad way. But you know, today is a very special day. Because today is the celebration of when all those folks were given that testimony. Because see, that star appeared that night. The angels appeared that night of his birth. And they went to see the king. Will you go out another way today? When you leave here today, go another way. Go with new determination. Go with new spirit. New spunk, if you would. Go, having come, worship the King. Let's pray. Father, we thank You for today and for this birth of our Savior. Recognizing again, Lord, that it was not just His birth that we celebrate, but more importantly, Father, we recognize that that road took Him to Calvary's cross. And it was all a plan. It was Your plan all along. To bring Jesus into this world, to dawn flesh, become God in the flesh. To experience life as we experience, so that we might know that when we call upon You, You understand. But more importantly, to not only bridge the gap where we couldn't make it up, but, Father, to completely span the chasm so that our sins would be forever removed and that our righteousness would not be counted against us, but we would be clothed in the righteousness of the King of the Jews, the Messiah, the Christ. Father, call us 
to leave another way today. We pray these things in Christ's name. Amen.